There was a couple of months where I think I was um, meant to be doing my MSc in education and I'm sure my professors at Oxford thought I was in Oxford. Uh, I was doing uh, Libramat with the, the team there where we were meant to be in Boston. I was meant to be do doing the PhD in, in Australia and, and I was actually in California with um, Y Combinator for Go One. That was Andrew Barnes, CEO and co-founder of GoOne.com and one of the many inspirational speakers that we have here at the Rhodes Ventures Forum 2019, which is a packed full two days that convenes current Rhodes scholars, Rhodes alumni, Atlantic fellows, and leaders in the international business community. And it brings them together to discuss innovation, entrepreneurship, and investment, as well as to explore how we can create ventures that really look to improve the world. In this episode, find out more about Andrew Barnes' life story and his involvement with innovative ventures. We'll be talking about the start of his passion for finding creative solutions in education, two ventures he co-founded, Libramat and GoOne.com, and how he managed to found these ventures alongside his postgraduate studies. Great to have you here, Andrew, at the third annual Rhodes Ventures Forum, and also to have you here for the podcast to talk about your life story and your involvement with Innovative Ventures. So you were a Rhodes Scholar here at the University of Oxford, where you studied for a Master's in Education. What was your experience of being a Rhodes Scholar? Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me, first of all. And it was, I think, sort of Oxford and, and the sort of Road scholarship in general was uh, very much a sort of pinch yourself moment uh, repeatedly for every day that, that I was at Oxford. Uh, the opportunity to, to study something completely different. So up until then, I'd done undergraduate in economics uh, and sort of, sort of joke that sort of was working my way through the alphabet to education. Um, that was itself uh, very exciting. And yeah, just really enjoyed the time here with a, a great group of people. So did your passion for trying to find creative solutions in education start at Oxford then with your research? I think I always enjoyed building things. So as a child, I loved playing with Lego, sort of um, uh, loved building things in general. And then sort of during high school, uh, instead of sort of working in sort of, a, in sort of a, I think the classic job for sort of friends at school would be to work in a retail sort of position I think instead of sort of working in a retail position for sort of ten dollars sort of ten pounds an hour or something like that I decided to launch my own business then and, and sort of work for myself for uh, one tenth of that amount uh, and and so the the idea of sort of building things building companies had, had been there but I think education as an area was something where I knew I was interested in it, but didn't really have any background in it. And so the opportunity to sort of formally study it, I think was uh, motivated by a feeling, a gut feeling that uh, one day I'd like to sort of start a company in that space, but wanted to, to actually have some sort of background uh, within, within the domain. Uh, my 
my fiance while I was at Oxford and, and wife now is also a primary school teacher. So she would probably describe uh, that she knew education was an exciting space to be in a decade before I, I even thought of it. Yeah, great. And so let's talk about one of the early ventures that you co-founded called LibraMap, which has been described in one press article as a strange combination of laundry and storytelling. Tell us about it. Yeah, well, the, the name LibraMap is, I suppose, sort of a, a combination of library and, and laundromat. And that was started with a, a group of friends, um, most of us uh, Rhodes Scholars here at, at Oxford, to um, uh, sort of form a social enterprise and uh, set up a, a number of community uh, laundry facilities and, uh, and the sort of idea being that uh, families and typically mothers in, um, in, in South Africa and a number of urban townships in South Africa could come we'd offer the ability to uh, wash clothes and while the, the laundry was being taken care of, uh, run a book sharing program between the sort of parents and their, their children. And so that was a lot of fun as well. So what sorts of reactions did you get from the parents and children involved in LibraMath? I, th I think people really enjoyed the, the sort of concept and, and putting the two together made a lot of sense. Uh, I think when we were sort of talking to uh, prospective funders and other things like that, there was a lot of head scratching. Uh, but uh, more recently, I've seen similar sort of organisations spring up in New York and all all around the world, which is great to see. And I think you teamed up with researchers to publish peer-reviewed evaluations of the success of Libramat. How important is it to be able to tangibly show the social impact that your venture is having as a social entrepreneur? Yeah, so the, the original idea around the dialogic book sharing was based on uh, research done uh, from the University of Oxford and then some of the, the team have since gone on to do sort of further study in that space. And, and I think in everything, whether it's sort of a social enterprise or a for-profit uh, business, having a, an understanding of cause and effect is, is always really important and sort of peer-reviewed research is one uh, mechanism to, to do that but really understanding how things sort of play together and sort of questioning them is, is I think really good practice. Yeah and I think part of LibraMat's goals was to create a model that can be replicated and run by local entrepreneurs. We're talking a bit about the sustainability of ventures this weekend so was, was that part of your idea of making LibraMat sustainable? Yeah, so I was talking to David, who um, was part of the founding team and sort of ran uh, the operations on the ground, and and when he was sort of describing uh, some of the sort of operations, what was interesting is other families and communities had sort of saw seen the idea of a community la laundromat and, and had decided to sort of replicate that themselves and bought a washing machine, was uh, were, were charging um, local families to, to use it, which was fantastic to see that sort of enterprising spirit. Uh, made it very difficult for us to compete, <laughs> but it was great to see that uh, sort of taking on a life of its own. Yeah, and when I was reading about it, I def definitely felt that Libramat was a particularly innovative idea. When you had that idea with your other co-founders, did you have a good feeling about it, that it was an idea that was going to work? I, I think like most ideas, they don't appear fully formed. and. And so it was 
a, a group of us um, that I think we got together, had a pizza one evening, if I remember correctly, and we're trying to work out, well, what's, what's an idea that, that we all could get excited about? And, and I think we generated the sort of kernel of an idea around how do we sort of uh, focus on uh, early childhood uh, education, early childhood literacy, and, and then it took many months to sort of really hone it down to something that we thought might actually have a chance of working. Yeah, so during those many months, what sorts of things were, were you doing? I'm thinking about people who are maybe listening, who are thinking about taking their big idea forward. What needs to be done? I think the most important thing is just to get out there and test it. So you can spend a lot of time sort of researching or thinking about different structures. You can sort of build out fantastic sort of business plans and, and whatnot. But I, I think fundamentally you learn much more by doing than, than by anything else. So let's talk about GoOne.com, which is a more recent venture that you co-founded. Yeah, so GoOne is a corporate education uh, provider. And we're sort of unique in the sense that we don't create any training material ourselves. Uh, very uh, similar to Airbnb, uh, I suppose, in the sense that Airbnb doesn't sort of run any uh, properties or accommodation facilities. Uh, we help organizations deliver training from, say, compliance training through to professional development, soft skills development for their, their staff. And we do that by working with thousands of different uh, training providers around the world. So um, large providers like Thomson Reuters or Skillsoft through to uh, very sort of industry-specific or topic-specific providers such as St John Ambulance or the Red Cross. And when was it that you realised there was a need for something like Go One? Yeah, so I was very interested in the, the sort of combination of education and technology, hence the, the idea to, to do the MSc in education at Oxford. And the sort of co-founders of Go One, there's uh, four of us in total, we had had different experiences from sort of careers and sort of life experiences today where we thought, okay, well, there's, there's this sort of gap in the market around corporate education, adult education, and and that was an area where we thought there was the opportunity to build both a commercially successful operation, but also uh, one that had, had sort of an important positive impact. And, and again, the idea didn't sort of emerge fully formed. It was that sort of gut feeling and through a couple of iterations when we sort of started in 2015 through to uh, sort of probably towards the end of that year when we really identified that the idea of aggregating content providers and training providers uh, really was the, the sort of gap that we wanted to focus on. And I think it's really interesting because you've talked before about the increasing need to reskill and upskill in a professional context and it made me think about how today many people have more than one career and so Go One is really important in the current climate. I think there's definitely a lot of macro trends that necessitate it. A, a greater focus on reskilling and upskilling later in life. Uh, certainly, the sort of average tenure that someone might have with a firm is is no longer sort of measured in decades. It's it's measured in, in months in in some industries and in sort of regions. And and I think there's also uh, changes in in industry. What sort of roles exist will exist in sort of a couple of years time could be completely different to, to the sort of industry landscape and role landscape that we have today. 
And I think yesterday on a panel, you mentioned how you got your business model for Go One wrong from day one. Would you mind sort of explaining a bit about um, that mistake, but more about how you refocused your business model then and moved forward from that? Yeah, so when we when we launched, and like I said, we had this gut feeling that the combination of sort of education and technology was the sort of exciting space to operate in. And so we built out a, a piece of software that we sold to organizations. And you can sort of uh, think of the sort of usual approach and, and certainly what we started with was charging for the technology and and that was a, the business model sort of day one was a, a revenue model built around the technology and then over time we realized that actually the the element that was valuable was the education uh, and so once we sort of realized that we then uh, changed the model to focus on okay well how do we uh, align the sort of revenue drivers of our business with the the sort of drivers of value for other organizations and individuals so we ended up giving away the technology for free and then just uh, focusing on on the content and and training that, that we we're providing and and generating revenue through that and i think you co-founded and then expanded go one while you were doing your phd at the university of queensland business school is that right uh, it was uh, th- there was a couple of months where i think I was um, meant to be doing my MSc in education, and I'm sure my professors at Oxford thought I was in Oxford. Uh, I was doing uh, Libramat with the, the team there, where we were meant to be in Boston. I was meant to be do- doing the PhD in, in Australia, and, and I was actually in California with um, Y Combinator for Go One. Yes, so and I want a- to come on to that in a moment. I, I'm just amazed at how you managed to balance everything, and I think that's one of the things that people are talking about this weekend as well, thinking about starting a venture alongside their studies maybe. How did you go about doing that, balancing all of those things? I'd probably describe myself as a, a, um, as a lazy person in, in general. So I think if, if there's sort of shortcuts to getting things done, but you can still, still get a really good outcome, then, then that's always been my preferred method sort of, of approaching different problems. You mentioned the Y Combinator Accelerator. Tell me a bit about what that is, and then we'll uh, talk about your experience there. Yeah, so Y Combinator, I think, was the the very first sort of accelerator, and it started back before there was any concept of what what an accelerator is. They really defined the the category, and the uh, the program that was started by Paul Graham, uh, Jessica Livingston, and a number of others. Uh, takes a number of companies and they run a program twice a year and uh, provide a a bit of funding in return for equity and run through a program to help those companies I suppose accelerate uh, grow more quickly in their sort of career tra- their, their sort of company trajectories than they might otherwise do and it's sort of structured around a bit of an artificial deadline where you come into this program and 12 or so weeks later there's a, a demo day where you get up on stage and sort of run through a bit of an overview on the business. And Y Combinator has been tremendously successful. They've uh, helped organizations such as Dropbox or Airbnb or, or Stripe and others. And yeah, just an, an incredible experience to, to be lucky enough to, to go through that program. So what was your personal experience of demo day? Did you secure any further investment on the back of demo day? When we applied to Y Combinator, we uh, had a couple of hundred thousand dollars in revenue at that point in time, and then went through the program and 
suppose when we were sort of pitching on, on demo day, yeah, it was really great to sort of see the interest in the business and, and, and so yeah, we were very fortunate uh, post YC to, to receive sort of follow on funding. And then you went on to expand Go One and open offices in the US and South Africa, Vietnam, the UK and Malaysia. Had you always seen Go One as a potential global company? We, we definitely always saw the space that we we're operating in as being global in nature. And I think simultaneously, it's tremendously exciting to see the business that we've built out over the last few years. And, and I think whenever anyone starts a business, you also probably imagine that you'll achieve all of that in 12 months time. And so <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's tremendously exciting to see uh, the organization as it's grown. And, and there's still a long way to go yet, so we're uh, very much sort of looking forward to seeing what the next few years bring. And I'm interested in the fact that you started Go On in Brisbane. What is the startup scene like in Brisbane? I think it's definitely uh, evolved over the, the last few years, and, and it's uh, hopefully now I'd, I'd describe it as a great place to, to start a business. Uh, very similar to, say, California and Silicon Valley, uh, that it's got fantastic weather and so if, if you're going to start a tech company where you could be located anywhere in the world uh, might as well start in a location where there's there's great weather and yeah the the sort of Brisbane market has uh, it, it's a, a smaller city compared to uh, cities globally so maybe trying to find talent at, certainly in the early days was was a bit more challenging but given that we now sort of operate in so many different locations, that's not been such an issue. How important do you think it is to have that sort of startup scene around you, if you like, when you're creating a venture? I think the important aspect, well, there's probably two important aspects, uh, many more, but two, two off the top of my head. Uh, one is the, the sort of network density and being able to uh, ask questions and learn from others who've sort of been there, done that is, is incredibly important. And, and I think then the second is to have sort of peers in, in what you're doing. So you can sort of push the bar, uh, and, and sort of collectively, uh, improve what you're doing. And so I think with Y Combinator, it was great to go through that program because every week we'd be talking to other companies in the program and seeing the amazing sort of traction and progress that they were making and, and I think that when you know what's possible you can sort of push yourself uh, harder as well and so I think the there's a lot of downsides around sort of the bubble that is created around Silicon Valley and whatnot but I think two of the the key aspects that exist either in that um, sort of ecosystem or in other ecosystems around the world is yeah how you have that sort of network density to access um, people who've been there done that and secondly to, to sort of uh, help push uh, what you're doing even further uh, by sort of seeing how others are, are doing the same or, or similar sort of uh, company building exercises themselves. Yeah and this weekend we're almost trying to create a little startup community and we're having some mentorship sessions where there's a chance for current students to speak to people like yourself about entrepreneurship. What's the most useful thing that another entrepreneur has said to you? Yeah, well, with those mentor sessions, I was thinking of signing up uh, as a, a mentee to because <laughs> I think there's a lot of uh, uh, exceptional people that have been here this weekend that I've uh, certainly learned a lot from and couldn't profess to, to actually uh, know all that much myself. I don't think there's anything that stands out as the one piece of advice. And, and I think 
certainly when we um, went through Y Combinator, for example, you can sort of think of it as as a program where there's been all these successful companies that have gone through um, previously and, and you sort of turn up uh, hoping that they've um, codified what the sort of magic bullet is or the silver bullet or, or the secret source is to creating a successful company and it just comes down to some some basics. It's build a product that people love um, and, and all the basics of building a really good company, hire good people, uh, stuff that isn't rocket science but I, I think it's it's sort of returning to that over and over again is is always useful to focus on. Great. Well, it's been a real pleasure to speak to you today, Andrew. Thank you so much. To hear more inspirational stories from the Rhodes Ventures Forum 2019, Listen in on my conversations with other speakers in the rest of these podcast episodes. This podcast was produced by me, Christy Calloway-Gale, and brought to you by the Rhodes Trust. The music you heard was called Feeling Sunny by Scott Holmes, provided by freemusicarchive.org.